Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Good morning. This is fun. <laughs> a bit of a wild time to be doing it on our potentially last Sunday, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and I wouldn't have speaking on any other subject any other way. I was given the topic of worship, and those of you that know me know that I love worship. Worship is a big part of my life. I've been on worship team since I was about 11 years old. I love listening to worship songs. I love coming before God in worship. So this was definitely the right subject for me. Um, However, I have struggled a little bit because I could probably talk about worship for about two days, maybe. (laughs) I could go on and on and on. And my poor husband has heard many varieties of what I wanted to speak on because I just couldn't quite work out where to go. Um, And I mean, I I have 14 pages, but it's only (laughs) one-sided and I promise you it fits in the time. It's just, it's big so I can read it. Um, (laughs) But I, uh, yeah, I mean, I did what what you only can do when you're trying to work this out. And I got before God and I just said, look, I, I don't know how to fit this into half an hour. The only way I can work this out is if you tell me how to fit this into half an hour. And so this is going to look a little bit like my lessons did when I was about 10 years old in primary school, and I'm going to cover the big questions of who, what, where, when, why, and how. I try to make them all start with the same letter, but how starts with an H, so I'm sorry. It's <laughs> not my fault. That's, that's language's fault. Um, and as I actually started to break things down into these structured questions, I realized that actually most of the things that were right at the center of my heart to talk about fit pretty well into those six questions. So that will be the structure of what I'm going to talk about today. Um, We, as you may know, are in a series called On This Rock, How Jesus Builds His Church. We're looking at how we as a church can get really firm foundations that mean that we are solid and we are prepared as a church for all that the storms may bring. And all throughout the Bible, we see that worship is a pretty central part of church life, whether that is actual church services or whether that's your own life worship is pretty fundamental so it's quite important that we get our hearts right on what that looks like um i myself have been challenged time and time again especially in the last little while looking back over these things at what uh, worship means both for me and for us as a church um and i hope that in some of what i share you'll hear some of that loving challenge and the lessons that i've learned Um, Before I get stuck into the real meat of it, I wanted to lay a little bit of groundwork of my own journey. Um, And when I was thinking about how to explain some of what my journey has looked like and some of what my relationship with God has looked like, I actually was brought back to thinking of my relationship with my own dad. Um, This is a picture of my dad, if you don't know. Well, it's a picture of half of his face. (laughs) Um... When I was growing up, my dad was the center of my world. I was desperate to spend time with him. I would give up anything to hang out with him. I just wanted to be in his presence, but um, I'd be devastated when he was away. I just, I hated him going away for work. I'd be so excited for him to come home. And not just because he always came home with Krispy Kremes from Stansted Airport, but just because I wanted my dad to be home. Um, But as I got older, his position in my life started to shift. 
Um, making sure that I got time with my friends became more important than making sure I got time with my dad. Making sure that I was up to date with the latest episode of whatever series I was watching was more important than getting those really precious moments with my dad when he was home. And I started to feel really distant from him, but I was totally blind to the fact that some of the factors that were making me really distant to him were my own doing. Um, I totally shifted that blame onto him and just decided that he was the one who was not prioritising his relationship with me and the, the, the reason that I was feeling distant was his fault, not my own. Um, I removed that responsibility and placed it on everything apart from me. Um, and that wasn't fair to him, but also I was being blind to the fact that I was the one that was prioritising these things above my relationship with him. And I think for some of us, it can be really easy to do this with our relationship with God and with our worship times with God. For us to find excuses to not spend time with him, to place priorities in the wrong places, and yet somehow still shift the blame elsewhere onto why we're feeling distant and why we don't feel we have a good relationship with him. I, I compare this to my earthly father as worship is about a way of life. And the things that we choose to put as non-negotiables on our list of priorities, it's about the time we give to our father and creating a life with him. And that distance is very real if we don't work out the part of our heavenly relationship with our Father. Now, I'm going to talk a fair bit about the states of our heart in this talk and having a heart in the right place. Um, and I just want to, again, use a little bit of an example of my own life where this has caused me to question where my heart was in terms of worship, and that is in terms of things in a Sunday morning. Now, pretty soon after COVID, getting back into a place of worship was quite tough. I don't know how it, specifically it was for you guys here, but we had plastic screens in between us as worship leaders. We had masks on for the whole congregation. Working out how to do worship was really hard. Um, working out how to come as a congregation and praise and be together was tricky. Um, and we as worship leaders had to think about it a lot and had to talk about it a lot. But I think I started to see that in these conversations we became really critical and we weren't looking at whether God was meeting with people. We were looking at whether the worship, was, the worship team was doing the right thing. We were looking at whether they'd picked the right songs. We were looking at whether people knew the songs. We were looking at whether there was enough contributions. And I found that every time we were going home after a time of worship, whether it was us or whether it was listening to other people's conversations, we'd so quickly fallen into this kind of place of, I'm going to place the emphasis on everyone else for whether or not I came into a place of worship this morning. Um, and I think it's really easy for us to do that. It's really easy for us to come into church and go, well, if I didn't know that song or if I didn't understand what they were saying or if the words weren't quite right, then it's, it's not my fault that I didn't, that I didn't enter into a place of worship. Um, I'm not saying that discussing these things in themselves is a bad thing, but I was thinking about when I've listened to parents go home with their kids after a Sunday morning and they don't ask their kids, oh, did, the, did you like what the kids' worker did this morning? Like, did they get it right? Did the video work? They ask their kids, what did God teach you this morning? You know, what did your heart learn this morning? What did God grow in you? And I, I think somewhere along the way, we'd placed our own expectations within our Sunday services of being able to come into worship entirely on the performance and the production of that Sunday morning. And we're blaming them, again, much like I said, for the distance with my dad, blaming the worship team for the fact this wasn't happening. I somehow again had shifted the blame onto someone else. And I recognised this was not just with my dad, it was not just my Sunday mornings. Somewhere along the way with worshipping God, spending time in his throne room had lost priority. I was really putting responsibility for my own worship into the hands of everyone else and missing the fact that I needed to get my heart right. So this is as much as a journey of my relationship with worship as it is for everyone else to understand. 
um, both in church and in my everyday life. And I'm hoping that you'll hear a little bit in that as we unpack these questions. But before we go into them, I just want to open up with a scripture because it's always a good place to start. Um, So Hebrews 13, verse 15 to 16 says, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, normally I'd get you to discuss this first, but we've kind of, I don't know if you've noticed, a little bit awkwardly reshuffled this morning a little bit just because we wanted to give good time, mostly so that you guys could get a chance to worship at the end. We love to respond, and I'm talking to you all about worship, so it feels like the appropriate response is to worship, Um, but also just for all the other family bits going on. So I'm just going to quickly go through what this verse shows us, and it just tells us very briefly about the principles of what we're biblically asked to do when it comes to our worship, that we're called to continually offer a sacrifice of praise, continually remember that, and that we are called to do good and share out of this place of praise and worship. So true and proper worship for us means to offer our whole selves as a sacrifice, and hopefully as we go through these questions, you'll understand exactly what this means for you, how we do it, and why it's important and fundamental to our journey with God. So the first question we're going to unpick is, what is worship? Now, worship is defined in the dictionary as the reverence or adoration that one shows towards someone or something. The Greek word literally translates into kissing the hand of, falling on your knees to, or to give all of oneself to. And the literal English translation means to give worth to something. But my favourite definition, I like to find several, (laughs) and my favourite one is found in Webster's Dictionary, and it says that worship is to honour with extravagant love and extreme submission. And I love those big words. I'm a big word person. Extravagant love and extreme submission. That's what I want my worship to look like. Throughout the Bible, worship itself is defined to us not just as physical acts or words that are used, but as a daily sacrifice. We're told by Paul in Romans 12, verse 1, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to give our all to him, and this is true and proper worship. It's not just about songs we sing or acts of service. These are outworkings of a worshipper, but it's about a life sacrificed to God and with extravagant love and extreme submission. In the Old Testament, when Jonah um, was writing his letters, he wrote, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And this wasn't just a statement. He was speaking of a lifestyle wholly dedicated to worshipping God. And this is at the core of what worship is for us as Christians. It's a way of life. It's a daily sacrifice and an offering of all that we are and all that we have to our Father so that he may be glorified and so that we can know him better. We probably most often use the term worship when we talk about sung gatherings, both in church and in small group settings, which is 100% a form of worship. But having a heart of worship goes way beyond just this. I heard a really helpful devotion on this by John Piper while I was preparing for this, where he was asked to define worship for Christians. And in his response, he broke it down into two areas for us, the inner essence of our heart and the outer expressions that come from this. And he rooted that distinction in two verses from Matthew 15, where Jesus said, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. John explains that this verse sets out pretty clearly for us that Jesus counts worship as zero if we're far from him, that worship for us means to value and treasure him above all things, that at the core it's a matter of our heart. When we know him truly and treasure him above all things, that inner valuing will become visible in our outer expression. And he does talk more on that, but that goes into the how, and I'm not going to spoil my later points already. (laughs) So his quote summarizes just by saying, the inner essence of worship is to know God truly, and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing him above all earthly things. 
and then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. So for the outset for us, when we're answering the question, what is worship? It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of where our hearts are, whether we have a true grasp on what worshiping God looks like for us. And this is expressed through a lifestyle of holiness. A proper foundation for us depends on having our motiv- a true motivation rooted in God and him being the center. Are we daily offering ourselves as sacrifices to our Father, making sure we value him above everything else and allowing that to flow out of us? When we've grasped that, we then start to ask, okay, so who is it that we worship? Who is it that I am placing as my object of worship? Biblically, it's pretty clear. (laughs) We're commanded that the only person who is worthy and the only person who should be receiving our praise is God. Jesus lays this out for us in Luke 4, verse 8, when he says, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. I could stop there with this question. I feel like it's it's pretty black and white, but I'm not going to because that would be uh, just (laughs) a little bit of a short story. Um, So I'll just unpick it a little bit. Uh, First and foremost, we've got to make sure we get that right. Whatever your faith, whatever your background Everybody is seeking something to worship, whether it's power, whether it's money, whether it's friends, whether it's family. We're all seeking something that we want to put our worship in. So what is it that you are worshipping? We need to make sure that at the heart of our journey, at the heart of learning to worship rightly, is that our only object of worship is God. Not us, not our desires, not reputation. It's a very clear first command that I think we can all agree on <laughs> from that first verse that God is the only one that we should be putting first. Jesus himself shows us a great example of outworking this command when the devil takes him up to the mountain to be tempted. He doesn't toy with this temptation at all. He doesn't even make it something that he even thinks about. He simply turns to the devil and says, be gone. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He allowed nothing else to get in the way. He stood firm on his command to worship God and God alone. It's pretty easy for us in today's uh, world to allow sneaky little things in our lives to start creeping their way into our list of priorities where God should be. And I think for me personally, some of the areas I've been challenged in this are the way I use my phone, um, my career ambition, and the popularity that I desire, and that's not wanting lots of friends, I just want to be liked. (laughs) Um, But I place these things so easily and give them so much more energy than I do my father. Um, In the evening, it's so much easier for me to sit down and just scroll funny cat videos on my phone for hours than it is for me to open my Bible. Um, But those things don't ever make me feel good, really, at the core. They don't strengthen me, they don't build me up, they don't fulfill me. Prioritizing these things above God actually leaves me feeling pretty empty. But if I put him first and I choose to give myself daily to worshiping him, then we'll find fulfillment and then we will find strength. Now, we're people who like to ask why. (laughs) Spend time with any kids here and you'll be asked why to most questions and things that you're doing. So I'm gonna tackle the why bit next. Um, first of all, we were created to worship. That was, our, that was our first task. That was the first thing God made us for. In Philippians 2 verse 9, we're told, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our purpose as creation was to worship him, to bring him glory. 
Ephesians 1, 4 to 6 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He chose us even before creation was a thing to be adopted into his family, which in itself is amazing and in itself is reason to worship. But beyond that, his first commandment to us is to love him. So what more do we need to ask ourselves? We are called to be people who worship, but beyond this, we worship because he loved us first. He created us, he designed us, he imagined us. He's deserving of that worship. There isn't anyone else on this earth that deserves all of our time, all of our energy, all of our praise in the same way as our Father does. And beyond this, he wants to know us and he wants to be in relationship with us. The God who created the universe and sent everything into being wants to be in relationship with us. And that is incredible. He desires spending time with us. He desires us being in his throne room with him. And I love that. I love that he is a big dad who did everything, who could do whatever he wants, and yet the desire of his heart is to spend time with me, is for me to come and be with him. Um, and if that's not something that makes me want to worship, then I don't know what else is, but I'm just going to pick a couple of biblical truths out that I'm hoping will even more ignite your understanding of why we worship him. Um, Revelations 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. He created us. Colossians 1, verse 12 to 13 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son. He redeemed us. We didn't deserve it, but he did it. <laughs> and that's a pretty good reason to worship. Isaiah 53 verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. He's a healer. He is faithful. Hebrews 10 verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He is here. He is present. Joshua 1 verse 10. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He gives us good gifts. James 1 verse 7. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And you know what else? We get to worship him. We get to worship this king who created us, who redeemed us, who's a healer, who is faithful, who is present, who gives us good gifts. We get to come into his throne room and spend time with him. And because of his incredible generosity to us, he responds to us when we come to worship. He promises to come and meet with us. He responds by drawing close and making us more like him. Don't you want that? Because I know I do. <laughs> I know that I would love to be drawn into his throne room and made more like him. Okay, so let's get a little bit practical. We've done the what, the why, and the who. We've built a little bit of foundation, so now we need to tackle the when, the where, and the how. Now this, the when section, is something that I feel personally I could talk on for probably the longest um, of all the sections in here. I think um, I am going to pull on a, <laughs> on a talk that I did before because I have spoken at length on what it looks like to worship God at all times. Um, but before we go into that, I'm just going to look at the verse that we initially started with, Hebrews 13, verse 15 to 16, where it tells us to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So in seeking to answer when we should worship, that is our answer. 
we should continually offer up our praise to God. Life gets busy, you know, kids are running around, job is chaotic, things are happening, there's family priorities, there's all sorts of things. But we need to continually be offering up our praise to God. That needs to be number one on our list of priorities. And I know, and I'm sure you all know well, this isn't always easy. And that's a little bit of what I want to just go into. Um, it's funny, <laughs> listening to the songs that Tom sung and the word that Billy brought, um, it's always quite... Uh, it builds you up well when you've been preparing a sermon, when you hear things in the songs and the contributions that you think, oh, great, okay, I got this right. Because sometimes it can be a little bit scary to put yourselves out there and, and talk about something. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what that really means for us to worship God at all times. Um, now, David wrote a psalm, Psalm 34, and the first line he wrote in this psalm was that I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Now, I don't know if you know the background of this psalm at all, but David, in this moment, was hiding in a cave. He'd just defeated a giant. He'd escaped being killed by Saul. He'd fought off lions and bears by hand. He'd taken refuge in the camp of the giant that he killed without knowing. Um, he had had to feign madness to escape the camp, and now he was hiding out in a cave from his own son who was trying to kill him. So David was a man who really understood what it meant to be in a time of fear, in a time of struggle, in a time of loneliness. And yet, his very first line when he writes this psalm is that I will extol the Lord at all times. Among all of his confusion and all of his fear and all of his pain, he calls us to praise the Lord. He made a very clear decision right at the outset of this writing, and this is something that we need to do for ourselves too. We can see many people in the Bible who face hardship and responded with grumbling and complaining, but David made a conscious decision to prioritize being positive and to prioritize his praise. His life wasn't any smoother or easier than any of these other people in the Bible, but he didn't allow the difficulty of his circumstances to control his attitude. We can do that too. We can choose to not allow the difficulty of our circumstances to control our attitude to worship. We can lift our gaze to him amongst everything that life is throwing at us. And that doesn't feel easy, and I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying here. Um, I'm not saying that we need to forget those hardships. I'm not saying we need to push them to the side. God cares so deeply about those things. But what I am saying is that we need to come with him, to him with those things. We need to not hide away from worship when those things are in the forefront of our mind. We need to bring them to him, probably even more so in that moment than in the good days. If we choose to respond with praise and thanksgiving, it can really change our outlook on things. Think about how different your outlook on life would be if you decided to praise God in the midst of your hardest days. His worthiness to be praised doesn't depend on our circumstances. Now, just for a bit of personal testimony, we have known this to be true as a family. Um, some of you will know if you've heard our story that Jordan and I sadly suffered um, the loss of a pregnancy a year and a half ago. Um, it was an incredibly painful time for us because starting a family had been something that we had desired for a really long time. And we were pretty cross. Uh, we were pretty angry. We were pretty lost. Um, I think there was like a week that went by in our house where we didn't really speak to each other because we just didn't know what to do. We just sat in silence. But we were leading worship on that Sunday in church. And I remember us looking at each other and just being like, what do we do? Like, Do we hand this over to someone else or do we do it? And it there wasn't really much of a question in our minds. We were like, of course we do it. Of course we go to the altar of God, and of course we sing, because that's what we need to do. Uh, we need to run to him right now just as much as we need to run to him in any other time. And so 
We got up there on the Sunday morning, we led worship, and the one song that God kept putting on both of our hearts to sing, and so we had to sing in one of the most painful times of our life, was the song, Goodness of God. So we were up there, you know, a few days after suffering this grief and this loss, singing in front of a congregation, all my life you have been so good to me, all my life you have been faithful. And we knew that to be true, even stronger in those days than we ever have. We stood on that foundation. Did we feel that in that moment? Not at all. (laughs) Did we want to sing that song? Not at all. But we knew that we had to. We knew that we had to come before God with our pain. We knew that we had to come before him with our suffering, that we had to run to him instead of running from him. Um, And actually, we probably knew him and felt him closer in those days than we ever have done before. Um, We don't understand why it happened. We don't understand why we had to experience that. But we grew closer to God in those moments than we've done in any other days in our life because we chose to put him first and we chose to sing that he was good and to declare those promises. Life definitely wasn't going the way I thought it would, but he was with me. He was with us and he is with you. Bringing our anger and our why before God is scriptural. It's called lamenting. And we see it in Lamentations, we see it through Job, we see it in a third of the Psalms. And Jesus himself demonstrated this with his own journey of grief. It is a biblical act. Psalm 77 leads us through how we do this. It starts with the expression of lament. I cried out to God. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord and I would not be comforted. And it goes on to speak of the journey of starting to wonder if God would ever show his face. Will he reject me forever? Will he never show his favor? Has his promise failed? Has he forgotten me? I can count a lot of times when I've asked those questions myself. But then the psalmist turns his face. He says he will remember the deeds of the Lord. He will consider all of God's work. He turns to God and declares God is holy, that there is no one greater. And then he ends by speaking of God's greatness. This is an incredible example of how we lament in our worship that we bring the pain, we bring the anger, we bring our confusion, but then we turn our face to God. We speak of his character, we hold fast to his promises. It's a fight, it's a choice, but he is our shepherd. Now, I do want to acknowledge this can be an incredibly hard thing to do, and I actually heard something on this on a worship podcast I listened to recently that I just want to bring into what I'm sharing with you here, and this was on the beauty of lament within the gathered setting and the beauty of lament within community. Emily spoke really well to us about the importance of discipleship and the importance of relationship within a church. Um, And we want this to be a space where people come and know that this is family, that this is home. No matter how your week has been, whatever pain you're feeling, we are here. The beauty of coming together to worship is that we can cry out as one that when you don't have the strength to lift your head, when you don't have the strength to find that goodness in God, that we can do it with you. And we certainly had a huge community around us doing that with us when we needed others to lift our heads. Even sometimes when you come and you don't know the words to sing, being able to read things like that song about God being our firm foundation, sit and read it. If you've got nothing you can say, if you can't come with anything, sit and let those words be sung over you. That's what we can do as a community for each other. Beauty with it, beauty with community and coming together is just amazing. Those meaningful, trustworthy family relationships, we want you to find that here. We want to help you in that. So if you can't do it on your own, I mean, look around. There's, There's a lot of people here who will lift your head in those moments with you. It is so important that we learn how to come to God's altar in all of our days, not just the good ones, to come before him and express how our hearts are feeling, but then to turn our faces and remember his goodness. 
In terms of the where of worship, we see this throughout the Old Testament and then Jesus comes and flips it on his head. Very much in the Old Testament, the where was quite a temple thing. People came to the temple, they came to worship. And then Jesus, when he came, flipped this on his head and, and said, I've broken all of that, I've broken the curtain. Worship is everything. Worship is your life. He said it in his conversation with the woman at the well, um, where he said, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He teaches us that God is looking for inward submission, that it's not about a location, it's not about a building, it's about all of our life, that we need to um, choose to worship in everything, in every part of our daily life, that it's not about the building we're standing in, it's no longer about the temple or going to the mountain, it is about life. I think that this is one of the questions that I am just going to give you a bit of a short answer to because um, there isn't a specific where. Worship should be everywhere. Worship is more than a Sunday morning. It's more than a prayer meeting. It is a way of life. So to finish, I'm just going to talk very briefly on the how of worship. First and foremost, we see several verses in the Bible that gives us pretty good guidance on this. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. But the hour is coming and is here now when we shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and advancing one another in all wisdom. My lips shall praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. If we take this back to the devotion we read right at the start, do you remember that he broke worship down into a matter of inner essence and outward expression? So if you look at these examples in the verses, we can see that we are commanded to worship in spirit and in truth, to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, to worship in spirit and truth again, and to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. These things again tell us that we need to have a firm grasp on proper do biblical doctrine on who God is, and that we need to let our worship be produced by the spirit. We need to get that foundation right at the outset of trying to worship, work out how we worship the truth of his character, the truth of his ways. We need to not be worshipping an idol of our own creation and take the time to get our hearts right with regards to who he is. So as we set out on our own journeys of working out how to worship, we need to make sure we do this first. We need to have clean hands and a pure heart and look at the inner essence of our hearts of worship. And then when we put time into making sure our inner essence, our grasp on the truth of who he is, our attitude to worshipping our Father is in the right place. This works itself out into, inner, into our outer expressions of worship. And again, in these verses, we see present yourself as a living sacrifice, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, sing psalms and spiritual songs, teach and advance each other, lift your hands, praise with your lips. We honour God with acts of the mouth, with our praise, with our worship, and with our repentance, and we honour him with acts of love and service. Again, the verse we use at the start tells us, through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We see over and over again this call to offer ourselves as a sacrifice. This is our outer expression of worship, the way we serve, the way we are to others, the way we share what we have, the things that we are willing to give up. These are pleasing to God. This is our outer worship. Again, I've said several times that worship isn't simply about a Sunday morning service. It's not about listening to some worship or choosing the right podcast. It's a way of life. It's how we choose to live. And this isn't something that I can necessarily tell you how to do in your own life, but I am just going to give you some very brief practical solutions that are something that I think we can get into our daily habits to make sure we're worshipping daily. 
Start your day with him. Acknowledge your presence even when you wake up. Open your Bible instead of your phone. Pray intentionally and sincerely, not just because you feel obliged. Write down a list of things you are thankful for throughout the day to keep your mind focused on his goodness. Love one another as God loved us. Get out into creation and be amazed by his power and beauty. Sing and play music to glorify him and read and study the Bible so that you can grow in your understanding of him. Now, just to finish by touching very briefly on what that looks like on a Sunday, we're looking at this because we want to have a church that's built with foundations very strongly placed with God. I wonder if you remember at the start, I touched on my attitude at times on a Sunday morning and the expectation I placed on everyone else to place to create an attitude of worship for me. And this is something that God has really been working on my heart for many, many years. And I want to tell you a bit about what I do on a Sunday morning when I get here. I see this room as a temple. I see this as the altar. I literally picture my heavenly father sat in front of me, inviting me in. And when I do that, it no longer matters to me whether the band plays the songs I like, whether the lyrics are on the screen correctly, or whether I'm feeling it in that moment. When I put myself literally in the throne room of my father, I can't help but get down on my knees and want to worship and adore him. And that is what I want for each and every one of you in here. That's my heart's desire, not just as your worship leader, but as your sister. I want you to experience what it is to come into the throne room of God, to get before him, to kneel in his presence and to be loved by him and to be drawn near to him. Sundays can be messy. They can be chaotic. There's distractions of all kinds. Um, But God is here. He is always here. He is present. So don't miss this opportunity to come and be with him and take some time to stand, to bow, to be in awe of him. Now, there's just a song that I wanted to bring us back to that Tom is going to play in a moment um, that I think is something that has shaped both the way we have led worship teams and the way that some of our friends have led worship teams over the years. And I would be amiss as a worship leader to not at least mention how we, our heart for our times of worship. And um, there is a song called When the Music Fades by Matt Redman. And he wrote this song at a time that him and the leadership felt that their church had just lost their way a little bit, that the enthusiasm had gone, that the joy had gone, that they were just coming and being met with blank faces and uh, unfair expectations. Um, And so they made the decision to strip everything away on a Sunday morning. They got rid of the PA, they got rid of the screens, they got rid of the instruments, they got rid of everything. They sat in a circle and they just worshipped. They took everything right back to a core of focusing on who Jesus is. And Matt Redman wrote out of this time the lyrics that said, When the music fades and all is stripped away, I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, when it's all about you. I think one of our big dangers in worship, and especially as churches get bigger and sounds get bigger and bands get bigger, is that we can be in real danger of putting performance ahead of our passion. Some of the most beautiful times of worship we see in the Bible happened without any instruments, without any PA, without any technology. How would you feel if you turned up here on a Sunday morning and this was all gone? If you turned up here on a Sunday morning and it was just the congregation? There was no worship team. Would it make you hesitant to worship if you asked yourselves um, honestly? We went through a period of time when we took over the worship team at our home church when we opened up our times of worship with no song. 
we might play a chord or we might make a nice environment, but we wouldn't sing. We left it to the congregation. And I experienced some of the best times of worship I ever have in those moments when the priority and the expectation was taken off from the worship team and placed on other people to come and find their, t- their place of worship. Yes, there is goodness that comes in times of worship, and I don't want to take away that because having that as part of our Sunday is so important and it's right. But what I do ask is, is our hearts right towards these times? Are we using these moments as an opportunity to weekly come into God's throne room and to give him our praise and adoration? So just a short version summary with a bit of loving challenge. My sum up of the six questions are, what is worship? It's placing something as your highest priority. It's honoring it with extravagant love and with extreme submission. Who do we worship? God. No one else. God. He is our number one priority and needs to remain that way. Why do we worship? Well, we're commanded to, but also he is so worthy. There is no one more deserving and he meets us in our worship. When do we worship? At all times, in the good times, in the bad times, in the busy times, in the quiet times. Where do we worship? In all places. And how do we worship? In spirit and in truth, in inner essence and outer expression, by giving all that we are, all our thoughts, all our time, all our actions to worshiping, glorifying, and honoring God.